In today's show, we're talking Indiana Pacers for the upcoming season. Sleepers, busts. We go under the lens with Benedict Matherin as well. Michael Walton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Okay, it is Indiana Pacers in today's show and serendipitously, we got the news drop about Budrick Heald and a trade discussion, which we will talk about later on in the show. So I'm glad that happened uh, today and not uh, tomorrow, because otherwise we would have done the whole show and not discussed it at all. A reminder, there is an opportunity for you to enter the Locked On Fantasy Basketball by Warney. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> Here's the details. We've got nine category leagues, points leagues. You can enter both. $50 entry. You get $200 if you finish top two in your division, and then you go through to a final battle royale week. We've got 18-man rosters. We're trying to change things up for fantasy. We're trying to make fantasy better. 18-man rosters. Slow draft. 40-game max per week. Hard cap. Schedule doesn't impact you to the degree that it does in regular leagues. Standard nine categories. ESPN points for ES- for the points league side of things. Um, I think it's going to be pretty fun. It was fun last season. We're looking to go bigger this year. Stay tuned later in the show for information on entry, but there is an entry form linked in the description below. Do not send me an email. That's not how we're going to get in. Entry form is linked down below in the show notes, audio-wise, or in the description of this show on YouTube. Stay tuned for the question later on. Let's talk paces. How's their schedule look? Quality games actually pretty good. 46. Okay. Don't normally get a higher number for a non-playoff team, but this Pacers team, I think, might be one of the most entertaining teams in the NBA this season. They're going to play at a high pace. They're going to have superstar. He's no, he's not quite a superstar. Burgeoning superstar Tyrese Halliburton. They're going to be fun. They only have thirteen back-to-backs. That's uh, lowest in the league. They have low max weeks, which is okay. Thirteen of those, and their playoff schedule is a little rough. A few three-game weeks in there. Three, three, four to finish on twenty-fourth of March. 3-4-3 for the 31st of March, 4-3-4 for the Yahoo default 7th of April, and 3-4-3 for the ESPN default 14th of April, which is actually pretty bad. That's two below max for that one. Overall, though, there's nothing in the schedule that makes you want to draft paces exclusively or want to avoid paces exclusively. Nothing like that, which is great. Let's talk about the news, though, that we did get today is that uh, Buddy Heald might be being traded. Buddy, no. could he do no. it? Could Yeah, apparently come off the bench. They had contract extension talks. They didn't go anywhere because he was like, oh, I'm a starter. I want big money. And they went, uh, no, you're not. And it didn't happen. It's predictable as shit. At the end of last season, they did put him on the bench. I wasn't sure that was going to be something that would continue this season. But again, reading tea leaves, it seems like they said that. They were going to pay him that way. And he was like, no, thank you. 
he has notably bristled at that idea in the past. But the thing is that it, it does it happen. He is a free agent at the end of this season. He is much older than you think. He's also one of the best shooters in the NBA. Top five shooters, Steph, Luke Kennard, Joe Harris. There was someone I mentioned on a show the other day who's consistently been that level of good shooter. Who was that? Hmm. I don't remember who that player was. When you just go, you're going to pencil them in at 40 plus percent from three all the time. Clay probably, but I'm not all that confident with him at the moment. It's He's up there. He just is huge volume, huge threes. He's improved playmaking at times. He's had a couple of little nice moments of... Uh, Defensive steals sort of a guy, but he struggles in a lot of other areas. But he's a strong, strong role player. He just thinks that that role should be bigger than what it probably is. He could fit on a number of teams. Imagine him in Milwaukee, Giannis, Middleton, Drew, taking the Grayson Allen role. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. I know some people care, well, the Lakers have been talking about this for ages. I'm not sure I love it with the Lakers. That would mean that you're displacing Austin Reeves or he's coming off the bench again. I'm not sure that really makes or doesn't really work the best. Unless you run Reeves as a point guard, I guess you could do that. Yeah, that doesn't look to me as the best one. Someone suggested me the Knicks, and I don't know about that either. With all those guards already there, I'm not sure how much sense that makes. Maybe you start him at the three ahead of RJ Barrett. That makes a lot of sense. He can fit in a lot of places because of the elite shooting. But the pressure point here is, is it, does it happen? When does it happen? And who comes back on the other side of it? Because it's very easy to just say, well, Heald's gone. So Brown, Matherin, Nempard, the minutes all go up. But somebody's coming back. Is it two shittier guys? Is it a good player? Is it a draft pick? I don't know. And that's how we just have a level of uncertainty. And he also just might not get traded. The other one is not only Jarris Walker's readiness, but Rick Carlisle's readiness to play him. Rick Carlisle, a at times crotchety coach who will have the default position and I guess rightfully so, that rookies suck. And you're going to have to prove to me something extraordinary to get into a large role. Now, Matherin played a sizable role, but he still didn't start. Although maybe that's unfair to Rick because the guy that started in place of Matherin was also a rookie in Andrew Nampard. Um, But if Walker struggles, and Walker maybe has an advantage because he's a, a rookie with good defensive ability. But it is hard to be a good defender as a rookie in the NBA and if that doesn't work for Walker, well, I feel really confident his offense isn't going to. So he he might struggle there for minutes. But he, maybe he is, and he's ready, and he starts, and any OB top and hype that you might have is thrown out the window there immediately. They're probably the two big things at the moment. Who are the breakout candidates? Well, the two names that I just mentioned, I, I think that one of them is Obi Toppin. I don't want to hear any more about Obi-Wan. Not only do we think that there is a breakout potential for him based on what he did in New York, because he's never had an opportunity to play even 20 minutes a night. But even the projections that I have him at now, and I think most reasonable people would project him at, there's a chance that he just plays 32 minutes a night. At the moment, I think we're all leaning towards, oh, it's probably going to be a minute split, more OB early, more Jarris later, 26-24 sort of split. I know that's 50 minutes, but you're counting for you know, crossovers and some small ball, whatever sort of stuff, right? Um, I think most people look at it that way. But what if Jarris isn't ready and Obi just plays 32? He could really easily blow up from his current numbers. Now, is he a great fantasy guy? Not really, because the steals and blocks will be small. But he can hit some threes, he can score, he can get rebounds. You never get assists or steals or blocks. 
free throws can be okay. He's not a bad fantasy player to look at at the end of the draft. And the other one there is uh, Humpty Dumpty himself. Benedict Matherin. We are going to go under the lens with Benedict Matherin in a second. So maybe we'll come back and talk about that then. In fact, we'll do it right after this. Today's ooh. today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. I hope none of you ever have to use Jace Medical because what it is for is emergency situations. It is a Jace case providing five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. You fill out a simple online form. You have a chat to their board-certified physicians. You order it. You've got ongoing care through those physicians as well. It is a doctor-created and doctor-recommended emergency antibiotic kit. Earthquakes, fires, floods. The incidences of a lot of these things seems to be amplified with climate change, and you never know when you are going to be at risk of a hurricane or a tornado or a cyclone or a typhoon, tsunami, whatever it is, a pandemic. You don't want to be in a situation where you need urgent antibiotics and can't get out of your house, can't get to the hospital. That's what the Jace case is for. So you and your family are prepared when disaster strikes. You don't use it every day. The idea is you buy it and you never touch it because that means everything has gone well. But having it there, preparing yourself is key. And you can save $360, more than $360 in fact, by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical Plus an additional 20 bucks off by using the code locked on at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J A S E medical.com. And the promo code is locked on. That will bring us in, but I'm going to do it this way first because I've got my little thing and I've screwed up where I am. Just disastrous production there for me. I apologize in advance because I just really want to hit the under the lens. We are taking Humpty Dumpty under the lens because he was a fairly high pick. Now, let's put my cards out on the table. I've got my Isaac Bonga card here. Thank you to Brendan who sent me this, by the way. Put my cards out on the table. I didn't like Benedict Matherin as a draft prospect. Definitely didn't have him as high as what he was drafted in the actual draft. Um, I always just have a hard time with these sort of players who can score but maybe aren't great shooters, have poor vision, can't defend, and they just get by by scoring. And scoring is important in basketball. Obviously, you win by scoring more points. But you could also use the reverse argument and say you also win by allowing fewer points. And Matherin doesn't really help with that. And some of the shooting stuff and passing stuff, I just didn't love him as a prospect. And then he came in and he blew up to begin the season. He was unbelievable. And then things just weren't good after that. Like, he just tailed off. He never got that starting spot. He worked in that sixth man role. And yeah, people were thinking he was rookie of the year early in the season, and that was clearly not the case. And he wasn't even a top three rookie, and I doubt he's a top five rookie out of this class overall. Look at his rankings for categories and points leagues. They were pretty bad. 141st in Yahoo points leagues, 179th in ESPN points leagues, and then in category leagues using a minus one ranking, not even a top 200 player yet. He was rostered. He was 198th. He was rostered in basically all leagues all season. If you were a part of this show through last season, basically every time we did a waiver wire show, I'd just be like, stop rostering him. What are you doing? Get rid of him. There's no reason to be holding him in really any format of standard 12-teamers. Get rid of him. But he got held on to nearly all year. 
Let's talk about his actual numbers up on the screen. You can see his field goal percentage trend over the course of the season. Matherin played 28 and a half minutes and he averaged 16.7 points. And it's one of those ones where you look at it and you start off and you go, all right, that's great. 29 minutes, 17 points. We're after a crack and start here, Josh. Look at these numbers. They look awesome. And then it all is bad. Only 1.3 triples. That's very low. Four rebounds, 1.5 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.2 blocks. That combination of assists, steals, and blocks, 2.3 combined assists, steals, and blocks. That is Ryan Anderson-esque. That's horrible. That's why he's bad at fantasy at this point. He also shot 43% from the field. The big thing that was massively encouraging, though, for Matherin was 83% from the line. And the other thing that was massively encouraging is getting to the line six times. Now, it is extraordinarily rare for rookies to get to the line that much. We had two of them last season. One of them was Matherin. One of them was Paolo Bunkera. And usually, that's a pretty decent indicator for future success. Now, I'm not really ready to buy into Matherin. And when I watched him at Summer League, I was like, oh, what is this guy doing? Like, he should be tearing these blokes apart, and he's not. I just I, I thought I thought he looked relatively bad most of the time. And that's not a good thing as a second-year guy who played as many minutes as he did. But I'm still going to keep coming back to the fact that he outstripped Everybody on this team, basically by 30% in terms of free throw attempts, which as a rookie is really hard to do. He had a 25 usage, which was highest on the team as well. Just everything else was bad. Defense was bad. Defensive stats were bad. Passing was bad. Shooting numbers overall were bad. And despite getting to the line as much as he did, he still had a true shooting of under 57%. Not bad. That's a bad average. And for rookies, it's actually pretty good. But when you're getting the line that much, you would hope you're pushing 60 he didn't because everything else was poor. You'll see, though, on this graph, his field goal percentage did improve as the season went on. There was a real rough patch in the middle, but he had a few moments towards the end where there were a few weeks where he was going over 50%. And those last three weeks were when they sort of started shutting everyone down and Heald was moved to the bench and Halliburton and Turner were out. And he started to shoot better, which was quite interesting. And that also ties into his assist numbers because, again, they were putrid for most of the season. Started out hot and then got real tunnel vision, like five assists in a week. Six assists, four assists, three assists. Finished with 13 assists in the final week. And that makes you raise your eyebrows. Of course, nobody played. Halliburton wasn't there. Heald was playing 20 minutes. Turner wasn't there. So he did a lot more, but he at least did it. He at least did something. And that's an encouraging thing. On the discouraging side of things is that as the season went on, I talked about him leading the team in usage. Well, that just kept tailing off and off and off. And when he moved into the starting lineup, it went down again. That's the concern, is that he was getting all of those shots, playing in the second unit, but when he was pushed into a starting lineup, when he was pushed into a, where he played with starters, the usage rate went right down. And when you talk about the future of the paces, they want to see whether Halliburton and Matherin work together. But he needs to be able to you know, be... Obviously, he needs to be that guy. He's not a creator. He's not a defender. He needs to be able to have the ball in his hands and, and do stuff with it. And the fact that he's really only sort of able to do that running in a second unit scenario, it gives you a level of concern. In the 804 minutes that he played alongside Tyrese Halliburton, Halliburton had a 27 usage and Matherin had a 20 usage. And if we are going to see way more than that. That 800 minutes might might hit 1,500 this season. 
And if that then makes up the majority of Matherin's minutes, then that lower usage, he also had under 54 true shooting playing with Halliburton, which again is a little bit of a concern that how does he work out how to fit is all of his efficiency and scoring and usage by having the ball and driving to the rim. And when he's playing with better players, he wasn't really able to adjust that. He also averaged a, a piddling 3.1 assists per 100 possessions like to Halliburton. For reference, Buddy Heald averaged 4.1. Noted passing legend, Buddy Heald, was 33% better in assist rate when playing in those minutes alongside Halliburton and Matherin. That's not great. They are all relatively troubling signs. But I say troubling. The bloke was a rookie. There is plenty that can change. And I will always use this as a way that I will evaluate. When I evaluate a guy coming out of college and into the draft, and I'm worried about, hmm, what is he doing that's not scoring? Can he actually shoot efficiently? Can he do team stuff and pass? Can he help others? Is he just doing this because he is BMOC, big man on campus? Was he fitting on a real basketball squad? And I have those worries coming in college, and then he plops into the NBA, and the exact same thing happens. I go, oh, God, all right, fine. Now, that players can improve. Absolutely. His shooting will probably improve. His passing will likely improve. But what if it doesn't? We don't actually have any evidence of it. All we have at this point is the hope that because he's young, he will improve. And sometimes that is fine. It works out and he improves and other times he doesn't. If we look at the minus one ranks for him, he actually started really strongly. That's because he was getting just insane free throw attempts. And you'll just see that the rank gets worse and worse as the as the year goes on. There were a couple of really strong weeks there around week 15, week 16. But overall, he, he struggled and he was outside the top 100 for most of the season, outside the top 200 for big stretches as well. So are we concerned about Matherin? Well, I don't love the trajectory of his Darko graph. Again, started out with a really positive trajectory, was really improving. And then 10% into the season, it started to drop. And was still uh, basically you can you don't love this for rookies you don't love them as they as the season goes on they get worse and they keep getting worse and by the end of the year that Darko DPM slope was pretty negative he dropped off significantly again this doesn't rule anything out for him as being good but it does raise I, I think a number of red flags a number of them. I don't know that this is a red flag, but it's worth looking at. It's my basketball index head headshot plot. And there are two things that I am plotting here. One thing that we know that Matherin's good at is drawing fouls. So I've got fouls drawn per 75 possessions as a percentile rank. And the other one is passing creation volume as a percentile. And I put a bunch of shooting guards on this list. One of them is Matherin, Shaden Sharp, Jalen Williams. I know we played power forward, but realistically, he's a wing on a good team. Um, Jalen Green. Is on that is on that list uh, as well. I'm trying to just I can't even see who that other one is at the top there. Who is that other guy that I've got on the, on that graph? I need to go and have a look at this. Ah, of course, it's fellow rookie Jaden Ivy who played a lot off ball, played on ball some of the season, but was so I've got those guys are all picked close to each other. Ivy Sharp Matherin five six seven in the draft. So top right corner is Ivy who has the best passing creation volume 
of all of these guys, Jalen Green, Jalen Williams, Shaden Sharp, and Benedict Matherin. In terms of fouls drawn per 75 possessions, really strong for Matherin. Amazing. 85th percentile in the NBA are drawing fouls. That's not getting free throws. It's not free throw attempt. It's drawing fouls. So some of that is attempting free throws, but it's also just all fouls in general. That's a really good number. But like I have just said, how good it is and how encouraging it is that he was able to get that many free throw attempts, he's actually behind Jaden Ivey in terms of fouls drawn per 75 possessions. Now, that doesn't equate to free throw attempts necessarily, but I think we maybe underrate a little bit of what Jaden Ivey did and maybe overrate a little bit of Matherin. That was an eye-opening. Now, it's interesting that both of those players are ahead of Jalen Green, significantly ahead of Jalen Williams, and even more significantly ahead of Shaden Sharp. This graph actually paints Sharp in a horrible uh, outline. No passing whatsoever for him and not drawing any fouls at all. And we know that he was in a weird situation, but he also in a spot that wasn't that dissimilar to Matherin, Shaden Sharp, in that he was coming off the bench and should have had a crack at being able to run things. He played like eight fewer minutes off the bench than what Matherin did, but he did none of these things. And I still have Sharp ahead of Matherin. So maybe I'm wrong on that. So it's encouraging that Matherin was able to draw the fouls at that level, but it's the equivalent of Jalen Green and Jaden Ivey. And then we talk about passing, like he is like 20th percentile in passing creation. And as a guy that you would ideally want to develop into your Anthony Edwards analog, you need to pass a lot more than that, man. Like Jalen Williams is passing a lot more. Jalen Green, who's not a good passer, under four assists per game, is sitting at 65th percentile. Jaden Ivey, also at this point, not a good passer. Way up, 84th, 84th percentile. Matherin, like 21st. There are numerous troubling things there with me in that I, I just I'm not I'm not sure where we go. And it seems like I'm being relatively skeptical. I guess I am. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in a second. Because today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, that's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's never been a better time to do it right now because we can look at the GOAT to a tag of Iloa and his MVP odds for the NFL season. It's got to be right up there. What about Super Bowl odds for my Miami Dolphins? We're going to go back-to-back back if we erase the last 50 years of history. Yeah, we're, we're in. Or you can do money line stuff for week three, player props, over-unders, spreads, totals, something else that I've missed or doubled up on. It's all there over on Fangel and NFL preseason. I, sorry, NBA preseason. It's like two and a half weeks away. So go to Fangel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. Fangel is an official partner of the NFL and do not forget to gamble responsibly. I still think Benedict Matherin's a sleeper. I'm going to talk about it in a second, but I am going to start with the new high-priced acquisition, $45 million a year man, the shark, Bruce Brown. He's an interesting one. Um, I don't think he's going to have anywhere near the level of ball handling opportunities, Brucey, that he had last season in Denver, who he played backup point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward. This season in Indiana... Well, he won't be the backup point guard. 
he might play some backup shooting guard, but he also might not. I would say he is absolutely guaranteed to start at the small forward position, which might help his rebound numbers. He's going to be very good at steals. We hope the shooting continues over. But I still think there's quite a bit of value here in certain spots. He's ranked 119th on Yahoo with an ADP of 115. I'm very, very happy to take him higher than that. Got no no qualms, no questions about taking Bruce Brown at a higher spot than that. Around pick 100, no worries. Go for it. He's going to contribute nicely. Fantrax got an ADP at 116. Again, really nice. But I don't, I don't think that there is tremendous value if you're drafting on ESPN because he's ranked at 107. That's okay. He can beat that, but I don't, it doesn't stand out to me. I go, man, you've got 30 spots of value in that. I don't think that's the case. But then we flip it over to the point side of ESPN where he's ranked 159th. I go, yeah, he is a better category league player in general than he is for points leagues. But last season, under 30 minutes a night, he averaged 26.5 fantasy points on ESPN, which was good for 130th. So I'm going to guess that him dropping down 30 spots seems relatively unlikely. So that is amazing value. And the ADP on ESPN at 138 is also really, really amazing value for whatever format you're looking at. So I do like a lot of what Brown is going to do. As a later round guy, just expect maybe more rebounds, but fewer assist numbers because he's not going to be the backup point guard. He probably, like the backup point guard's Nempard and then the third string is TJ McConnell. So he's probably never going to have an opportunity to run point on this team which does inflate his numbers. So just be aware of that. It's not as simple as looking as last year's numbers and go, well, he's going to start five more minutes. Easy done. It's not as simple as that. I don't believe. And then that does bring us to Matherin, who despite all of those concerns that I have, those 28 and a half minutes can easily jump by five. And especially when we're talking fantasy points leagues, the number one factor that ties into ranking is minutes, closely followed by usage. Now, his usage might take a hit as we detailed how low it was next to Halliburton. But his minutes are going to rise almost assuredly without Buddy Heald there. It might make that team worse, and I think there's a fair chance that that happens. But I think those minutes are going up. There is also the chance that he proves me wrong and he doesn't Ryan Anderson his way to two combined assist steals and blocks. What if he gets three assists? What if he just shoots 44% instead of 42 and that gives him 19 points in 34 minutes. Two threes. And instead of one and a half, take some more of them, my guy. What if he actually gets better at getting to the line? Or he shoots 87 instead of 82. Again, all possible. And all of these rankings mean that even if you don't buy any of what I just said, what the hell are you losing? He's ranked 148th on Yahoo. So for points and categories, for points, I love that. Easy. His ADP is 133. Fantrax, it's 140. ESPN, it's 136. He's ranked 150th at ESPN points and 133rd on ESPN category leagues. That is an absolute no-brainer pick. And as you can tell by the entire tenor of the discussions I've had on Humpty Dumpty, I don't love him as a player. But that, that's really good value. And that brings us to me telling you about a question to enter the Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Entry form is down below on YouTube and in the uh, audio podcast show notes. The question that you have to answer is, Benedict Matherin went to which college? All I want you to write in the response is don't get tricky. Don't write U of A. Don't write Wildcats. Don't write Arizona Wildcats. 
to show you that you are listening, I just want you to write Arizona. Arizona. That is the college that Benedict Matherin went to. Arizona. Please just write Arizona as the answer. What about fantasy busts? Buddy, no. could he do no. it? Could he do no. it? Is there anything the man can't do? Yeah, be a value pick in fantasy this season. There are a couple of situations where I don't mind it for Budrick. But part of the problem is I just, we just don't know what's going to happen now. It looked like he was going to come off the bench. Maybe that was 28, 27 minutes a night. Could he get traded to a place where he plays 33? Maybe. Could he get traded to a place where he plays 25? Also maybe. So the range of outcomes from Heald has widened until we figure out what's actually going on. 93rd ranked on Yahoo for category leagues at this point. I'm not interested in that. Point. Uh, oh, no, sorry. That's not true. For category leagues, 93, there's a little... It's, it's okay. It's not dreadful. I'm definitely not interested in him at an ADP of 77. And in a points league at a rank of 93, I also don't think there's value in that. His fan tracks ADP is 93, reasonable around that 100 mark. is okay to draft him, I think. It gives you a bit of scope for a trade. Some upside, some downside, but not dreadful. But yeah, ESPN categories got him ranked 78. ESPN points got him ranked 89th. They're just too high. Unless we hear he's going to Milwaukee and he's playing 32 a night. And even then, he's probably more around 80 than... Well, yeah, more, more 80 than 70. So just be really careful about drafting him. Do not go, I wouldn't say, inside the top 90 until we hear any more. And to me, he's probably more 100, 110 type territory with a significant level of uncertainty about what Bud is potentially doing this season. I'm just, he's a real limited player fantasy-wise because all he does is points and threes. And if that volume cuts down six, seven minutes, well, then he becomes close enough to being useless. Injury-wise, Jarris Walker hurt his elbow in summer league. He had one of the worst shooting games you'll ever see. I think he went 0 of 10 from 3 or something horrible, 1 of 11. He just couldn't shoot at all. And part of the problem we had with him coming out of Houston was, can this bloke shoot at all? There is some hope that the Houston uh, scheme limited his overall production offensively. He's a guy that probably can grab and go, can pass a little bit as a big man, but you know, we still need to see that. But then in uh, summer league, he had some absolutely amazing highlight defensive plays, but offensively, it was pretty disastrous. And you would think that on this team, he's not going to get in a lineup that's going to have Brown, Nembhard, Halliburton, maybe McConnell. How many opportunities are you going to have to like initiate offense as a, a rookie power forward? None. How many times is he going to be prioritized as a rim protector when Miles Turner or Isaiah Jackson are out there? You would think limited. So coming in with the elbow injury um, probably sets him back a little bit. And I just don't think he's going to be able to start the season uh, as the starter. His ranks relatively okay in reflecting that. He's ranked, he's got an ADP of 139 on, um, on Yahoo, which is Fine. It's last round. I don't think he gets there, but he's ranked 270. He's 161st on ESPN. They're all you know, reasonable numbers. Because I just don't think he's going to come out, play 30 minutes a night, or have all of that runway to do what he needs to do. I will talk more about his dynasty value later on. I do like him as a prospect. I liked players that went after him more, like Taylor Hendricks. Um, and I think there is a little bit of a worry that offensively he's never quite there enough. We hope the elbow injury is okay, and I think it will be. Um, what about the trade away trade option? Well, it's going to be healed. 
what do they get back? Probably picks. I wrote wings. I actually meant to write forwards because when we get to the depth chart later on, you'll see in terms of pure forwards on this team, there's not many of them. And by not many, I don't even know that there is um, any because like I don't really classify Jarris Walker or Obi Toppin as a forward. They will play power forward, but they will also play center. They're a big. They're not like a guy that can switch down to the three which is what I would want someone as a forward to be. So I would hope that they can get someone who's got like actual legit forward size and movement ability. But I don't know. Again, I just don't think there's any of those guys currently on the roster. So I'd like them to get one of those guys back. But the healed thing is a big, what do you call it, fly in the ointment in terms of how we're going to assess this team. Contract year players, but he healed one of those. Unrestricted free agent along with... Um, Jordan Nwora, who played pretty well last season, but it's not going to be in the rotation. And there's two restricted guys, Obi Toppin and Aaron Neesmith, who started at power forward last season and legitimately might not be in the rotation this year because they brought in two other guys to play that position. So Neesmith and Nwora were playing power forward last season after they binned Jalen Smith, rightfully so. Um, and they just might not play. Neesmith probably gets a reprieve if Heald is gone and moves into a rotation on the wing. He has some okay shooting moments. I actually don't really love Neesmith as a player. Never did back through his draft um, period. Just thought there was a lot that was lacking there, and that sort of played out. I think he can be an okay shooter, um, but I wouldn't be prioritizing him, and I think his role is going to cut dramatically. Toppin's an interesting one, but there are a lot of people who look at contract year stuff, and you want me to go on a rant? Oh, it won't. It's a small one. People go, yeah, he's, uh, he's in a contract year, so he's going to get every chance to ball out. That's not how teams do things. Teams like, man, like you've got a real opportunity here to get paid. How about we sacrifice everything to allow you to show us how we pay you more money? Doesn't happen that way. Now, Toppin's going to have almost undoubtedly the best season of his career because he's probably going to start and his minutes are going to bump way up from where they were in New York. But that's not because the team was going, man, we actually just really want you to make more money. That's not, that's not how any of that stuff works. The other one is Heald, as I said, who's an unrestricted free agent, but we've covered Budrick quite a bit here. One player we haven't covered is the best player on this team, and that's Tyrese Halliburton, but there's not a lot to talk about. I'll get to it later. What are the rotation risks? Well, it's Walker versus Toppin. Is it a minute split down the guts, 24-24? Does Toppin run away with it? If it's 24-24, you're not rostering any of them. If one gets 30, then that, that helps a little bit. The other one is the backup center for deeper leagues. It sounds like, and listening to a lot of stuff that Caitlin Cooper puts out about the Pacers, she seems to think Jalen Smith, for some God knows reason, I don't know, has the backup role. Stand by your man! Although, it is very, very hard to debate that if you are talking about right now, play a game tomorrow, their best backup center is Daniel Tice. He is. He is their best backup center. There's no reason for them to play him when they need to see whether Smith or Jackson can do anything, but Tice is their best. And then again, Jackson needs to say out of foul trouble. He didn't overly impress me in summer league either. And that opportunity we thought he might have had last season to become a starter disappeared because they kept Turner and extended him. So I'm losing a little bit of faith there in Isaiah. The other one is, what if Rick Carlisle says, well, it actually worked really well last season having Andrew Nempart in the starting lineup and Matherin stays, plays 28 off the bench and is the same guy again. It's possible, I guess. Now, everyone seems to think that Benny will be the starter. But what if he's not? It can very, very easily happen. Two guys who are real permanent monsters on this team, TJ McConnell and Isaiah Jackson. If they were forced into starting roles, you would absolutely must roster them right across the board. No question about it. 
Jalen Smith at times could be considered that. He's just so bad to me. I just I wouldn't want to trust it, but he's close enough. Let's look at their depth chart. And let's start by looking at the guards. And let's look at Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> there is a level of um, misinformation. I don't know if that's the right word around Tyrese Halliburton. There are people, welcome, who have been doing fantasy football. Their season is in tatters already because they've lost Aaron Rodgers or whatever they've done. Right, Their season's cooked. And they go, oh, it's time for me to tune into fantasy basketball. And they look like, Tyrese Halliburton in the top five. What on earth is wrong with any of you guys? How is that possible? I've had that comment multiple times. Which I would say, welcome, good to have you on the show. Uh, you're wrong. And Halliburton's easy to pick there. Not, not really a question with picking him in that spot at all. There is a level of concern, I, I think, with taking Halliburton that high. Now, my Durant metric really, it does, it likes him quite a bit. It puts him up pretty high. Like he's a clear top 10 guy. And you, there's arguments you can be made for a level of using Durant and some stability and some um, injury stuff that you might even consider him at two. All right, I, don't, I don't think I would, but you could consider that. The problem there is there with him is that Halliburton is not the largest scorer. And a lot of big scorers go off in that first round. So when Embiid and Doncic and Giannis and Steph, they're all averaging 30 a game and Tatum and Tyrus is coming in at 21. It can be tough to get those nine points back somewhere else. Now, it's going to be tough for everyone else to catch up to his 10-11 assists per game and two steals and elite efficiency. But he doesn't get to the line a ton either. He's less than Steph in terms of free throw attempts. Under five a game is what I've projected him at. But he hits threes that are really strong. He's an awesome player. Again, absolutely guaranteed to be a top six pick in every category league draft. Points leagues? Probably not. Yahoo points? End of the first round. That's not true. ESPN points, top six, no problem. Yahoo points, probably end of the first round. So be aware of that. But there is that concern slightly in category leagues of just the lowest scoring compared to some of those other guys that might be a little hard to um, catch up with. On the bench with guards, we've got Nembhard, who was really quite strong last season. But after he started off the season with that amazing game at Golden State and was shooting the lights out, you went and looked at his college and goes, ah, he never shot like this at all in four years at college. And then over the course of the season, it regressed all the way back and he wasn't a very good shooter. And while he was solid enough, he had opportunities when Halliburton was out and never really ramped up his production and just sort of hovered around. Now, again, this is great thing about the NBA, sport, fantasy basketball in general. Everyone can have multiple opinions. Sometimes opinions can be wrong, but that's only after they've been proven wrong. At this point, they're not. So someone said to me, man, I'm so hyped about Nampard this season. I think he's a future top 50 player and he's going to blow up this season. I went, wow, I could not be further away from that. But that's just it. That's an opinion. I think that this was before the Buddy Heald trade. So I think there's more chance for him to play more minutes now. Well, not that Heald's been traded, but before the news came out. There's more chance for Nampard to play more minutes now. But I think that what he did last season in terms of role and playing time is probably unlikely to be duplicated this season. Brown comes in, more minutes for Matherin, makes it harder for Nembhard. TJ McConnell is always one of those players that he did shoot 40% from three last season, but it was on like no attempts. And he just doesn't get guarded and it just screws your whole offense up. 
when he goes out there, he'll get big rebounds for a guard. He'll get awesome assists, unbelievable steals, and be a fantasy stud. The problem is that you don't want him out there as a real team. And the other guy is Isaiah Wong, who's on a two-way. They're wings. They're going to start Matherin and Brown. I'm classing both of those guys as wings. We've talked ex- extensively about them. And then a lot of wings on this team. Bud Heald, Aaron Neesmith, Jordan Wara, first-round pick Ben Shepard, who just won't play, and Kendall Brown, who missed most of last season with a leg fracture, is back on a two-way. Um, I guess you could argue maybe he's a forward. But I think he's more of a 2-3. He's got some value. I just don't know whether he can ever shoot and... Yeah, I'm not sure that he. I'm not sure that he gets there to become a rotation guy. But there's, a, I've got more hope in him than say an Isaiah Wong, who I just don't think is an NBA caliber player. And that's where we say we get to the forwards in the depth chart, and I don't think they have a true forward on this team. Again, maybe you argue argue Kendall Brown, but I don't think they actually have a forward. So they're going to start two bigs, Obi Toppin and Miles Turner, and that enables me now to talk about Miles Turner, who is probably going to block a fair large amount of shots. He was very good last season. He only still played, what, 29 or 30 minutes? Yeah, 29 and a half minutes. He averaged 18 and seven and a half, one and a half threes, 2.3 blocks, 55 and 78. That's an elite fantasy player. With the likelihood that there are more two block per game players this season, the relative value of Turner does decrease. So I wouldn't want to take him in round two. I probably wouldn't want to do it in round three. I'd be more likely to grab someone like a Chet or a Turner or a Kessler if he's there, or a Claxton in round four or five. And I think that's more where Turner sits. The other risk you have is that age 27, 28, blocks do start to decline as you get older. And as Turner becomes more important offensively, and there's the presence maybe of Jarris Walker helping out, maybe Turner's blocks, and they, they have been quite fluctuating for him throughout his career, that they fall off as well. And if, again, if you want to bank on a low-volume stat, carrying a rank, it generally ends up in a bad time. There's a lot of bigs here, man. Jarris Walker on the bench, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Daniel Tyson, two-way legend Oscar Shibway, who might be the best rebounder in the NBA. Just on a per-minute basis, that's what he does. Doesn't do anything else, but that's what he does. So you can see there's a lot of bigs, little squish minutes here. And the reason I have them all classed as bigs is I don't think you're really going to see any lineups with Walker, Toppin, and Turner together. So that's where we have that risk of how does Toppin and Walker do enough? And then Smith and Jackson were just sort of, last season at the end, they just rotated backup roles behind Miles Turner. Lastly, let's have a look at the Durant and Bazemore metrics. Durant, as I said, downgrades Turner quite a bit. Jarris Walker gets upgraded in Durant, interestingly, but not into 12 or probably even 14 team league discussions. And then Bazemore has Halliburton as a top four player. And I say top four because I didn't want to tell you the exact number, but I will tell you. I actually graded him out at two for Dynasty. Matherin is a top 80 guy. Jarris Walker is a top 100 player. And Nempard is a top 150 player for Dynasty. That's how those metrics grade that. We will hopefully have Bazemore up on Basketball Monster in a limited capacity as a beta test this season in the next week. And then when that does happen, I'll write an article explaining what I did with it. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
We're just normal men. What do you mean, normal men? We're just innocent men. 